I've got issues with the Vikings coaching staff after losing 27-24 in Cincinnati in overtime, but they might not be the ones you're thinking of. Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast. You like it? I want to do You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast. We're always trying to learn something new. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And thank you so much to those of you who stick with the show through thick and thin. My hashtag everydayers who listen to the show every single day, whether the Vikings are winning or losing. I appreciate you all so much. You're my favorite. If you're new here, uh, hi, welcome. My name is Luke Braun. You can find the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it is any anywhere you listen to audio podcasts, we're on like all of them, including Sirius XM, which we are partnered with. You can also find live broadcasts of games like Saturday's debacle against the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, you can find this show as well on YouTube and Amazon Fire and Roku. Just download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So, uh, woof. (laughs) Vikings lose 27-24 if you missed the game. Uh, It was... Not that back and forth of an affair. The Vikings dominated pretty hard for three quarters and then completely fell apart apart in the fourth. They were up 17-3, to headed into the fourth quarter. The Bengals scored a touchdown on the first play of the fourth quarter. They were kind of right on there. Um, And ended up scoring three touchdowns in regulation to tie the game up ultimately at 24-24. The Vikings did score one on the way back, but then uh, the game came down to, I think, the biggest thing the Vikings media sphere is debating is the a fourth and short a third and short and then a fourth and short from um kevin o'connell where he he did two of those tush push sneaks i'm not going to call it the brotherly shove i'm sorry i'm an adult it's a it's the tush push (laughs) and he did two of them in a row and they didn't work uh and that was third and one and fourth and one in overtime around midfield the bengals got the ball back after that and it was like two first downs field goal they went um that's a big bummer. Uh, let me broaden it. Kevin O'Connell didn't do a bad job play calling in this game. I'm going to stand on that take. I have issues with Kevin O'Connell. I, I have a big problem with other stuff, but I don't think the actual selection and design of plays and game plan was very... In fact, I think it was pretty good to get Nick Mullins over 300-yard passing, you know, 24 points um, without... A whole bunch of, I think they scored once off of turnovers, right? Or they had they had one interception. Um, Nick Mullins did throw a couple interceptions, but by and large, they moved the ball. They're really interesting choices that Kevin O'Connell made that I think were good. Were they didn't go to any gap scheme in this one at all? I don't think I saw a single puller. I, I mean, I could be wrong. The the live eye, it's it's hard to catch those things sometimes. I don't think I saw a single puller. Um, so just going with the zone and duo game against the Bengals is a pretty bold thing to do. It's like abandoning one of your counter punches because you don't think it's going to work. And that was correct. The Vikings ran the ball like crazy. Ty Chandler did great. Um, And I think O'Connell did a good job of quieting Nick Mullins after a rough second or a rough first half. First half, Mullins throws two interceptions. One of them, he didn't see a a, a post safety. 
And on the second one, it was a in the middle of getting sacked, trying to flip the ball away to make it an incompletion and threw it directly to the guy that was like sacking him. <laughs> and it was an interception. Just disgusting. I, that's horrible. That's I, I think maybe the worst interception I've ever seen. And I don't f- feel like I feel like maybe I've said that before. And I was like being kind of hyperbolic. Like I genuinely challenge you to come up with an interception that's worse. Anyways, I think after that, getting Nick Mullins to quiet down and, and come out with two really good drives uh, for I think a touchdown and then a field goal um, to to go up to that 24 points was a credit to Nick Mullins in some sense, of course, like way to get better. But also, I think that's a credit to coaching to say, hey, you had a couple bad plays, chill out, we can still play good football here. And then going and kind of stopping one play from turning into, you know, stopping a bad play from turning into a bad day. You know what I mean? Um, so I'll, I'll give him that and I'll, I'll give him that. I think the game plan was good. They, I think they had good ideas coming into this game, but okay, here's the issue with this sneak. And, and I, I, a lot of people are like, gosh, why do you sneak? It's so predictable. Um, I reject this wholly. I, I let he who is without calling for a sneak cast the first stone because fourth down third and one fourth and one a sneak is like the optimal it's like the most successful play in the league it's the thing that works the the cleanest so i don't mind a sneak at all a double sneak there at all there's a couple things though for one the front that the cincinnati bengals present you need to be aware of that so when they come out with both a gaps and both b gaps covered uh by defensive linemen three you know three or four hands in the dirt down linemen you need to have some ability to check out of that. Now, maybe you don't because Nick Mullins is a backup or whatever, and I guess we just kind of have to live with that. Um, but th- there's that issue. And then there's the actual personnel issue of it because this is like, this is the tush push thing, right? And the guy doing the pushing was Brandon Powell. Now, I, I've we've talked a lot about the tush push on uh, Locked on NFL. If you go listen to that with me and Ross on Tuesdays, um, we've talked about it. And, and my opinion on the tush push in general is that it doesn't have a lot to do with the push. I think the Eagles are really good at sneaks because Jalen Hurts is strong and because that O-line is very, very strong. And the Vikings O-line had been blocking very, very well. Again, the zone duo run game, pretty simple. We just kind of lined up and beat them all day. Um, So I I get, like, I'm sympathetic to putting this in the hands of that offensive line and saying, go push for a yard. You've been pushing them around all day. I get it. And the way it went down where they do the sneak, but the Bengals called a timeout, uh, and, and the, the sneak worked off the timeout, but the whistle was blowing and sometimes players will let up and it, it'll maybe look a little better than it is. And I think that got in O'Connell's head and he went, oh, come on, we can get this. We can get this. And he didn't get it a second time. He went, ah, come on, but I think we can get this. And then for the third instance of it, which was fourth and one, they don't get it again. Um, he defended the decision on the a- afterwards. Uh, he, he defended going for it and, uh, going for the sneak there. By basically saying, look, I trust the players to execute and I'm going to trust the players to execute again if I'm in that situation again, which is all fair, I guess. Um, but the problem is that Brandon Powell being the pusher, not very important, right? Like that's got to be TJ Hawkinson or something. And part of the package that they run that out of is like with jet motion. So they want it to be a fast guy. But I think in a situation where it's very clear that you're going to sneak it because you've done it twice in a row, I think having the fast guy there for like fast motion is... I don't think you need to do it anymore. I, I think you can find a way to call that where it's it's TJ Hawkinson or even have TJ Hawkinson, you know, run it out of a different formation. They've had TJ Hawkinson take that and actually take the snap under center um, with the quarterback in shotgun 
and then Hawkinson motions over and then takes it under center. I would have preferred that sneak, honestly. Um, they didn't want to take a timeout or anything. They didn't want to uh, slow things down because they actually thought the Bengals weren't in the right personnel to stop this, which I'm also sympathetic to. So, like, from a process angle, I have nitpicks about this. Ah, maybe you didn't have the right person in the right place, or maybe you should have, you know, attacked a different gap with this, or maybe a lot of people said, you know, they should just run mid-zone to Ty Chandler, which I, I actually would have preferred that as well. But it's like, I have a suggestion for a call maybe you should have played, but I... I hesitate to say, wow, a sneak's really stupid there. I think there's ways to pull that off. And I think they just got caught up trying to go too fast and didn't really dial in the play that they wanted to dial into, which kind of brings me to my overall criticism of Kevin O'Connell. I'm criticizing him, but don't, don't call for his job unless you want to get into a much more broad conversation. And you're not going to win that conversation. There's way too many things that Kevin O'Connell has done really, really well this year for him, for his seat to even warm up a little bit. Um, that's insane, right? It's just reactionary, people being mad after the game. Don't take it seriously. Um, but that doesn't mean, like, I'm still going to criticize him, and there's still stuff he I, I want him to get better at for next year, right? One of those things is situational mastery. It's been bad this year. I'm sorry. It, it was great last year. They won a bunch of close games on being really good at when and when not to go out of bounds, when to return a punt, and when you should probably be more conservative about that. Things like if you're going down for a sack, and you're in the red zone, don't throw the ball away because that field goal is still close, right? Being aware of exactly the situation you're going into. Or if you go to the last game against the Raiders with Josh Dobbs, don't take a sack when you're on the cusp of field goal range. Now you got to try to throw it away because those extra yards are super important. It's already a long field goal and that's changing your probability. But when you're on like the 20, who cares? Um, the Vikings have been really bad at that. Like really bad at that stuff. They've been bad at burning timeouts in situations where they don't, ha they can't afford to burn those timeouts because of sideline issues. This is not a well-operated team. I think strategically, Kevin O'Connell is doing great. But it's a little bit of a, he's an OC as a head coach thing, I think is what we're seeing. Um, so personally, I, 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 I don't know if, if, if Kevin O'Connell's got the chops for organizing a sideline. It's been a really disorganized sideline for two years. I want to see him prove me wrong on that. Go be a disciplined team that leads the league in least penalties, you know, that that gets everything right, that has, you know, 10 or 15 seconds on the line of scrimmage to, to do stuff. How many times have the Vikings been stuck at the line of scrimmage, taken delay of games, or uh, had to, you know, snap into an obvious blitz that they don't have time to adjust for, which happened on a sack early in the game? That's where I'm at. The operations of this team are bad. It costs the team. And in when every margin is razor thin, the way this team plays and blows its leads and makes its comebacks, that's costing them games. Get better at it, man. Learn how to operate. And then all of your white whiteboard magic wizardry OC stuff will be able to sing. Um, so how did Nick Mullins do in this game anyways, right? Independent of play calling and all that other stuff. Um, how did Nick Mullins do? And then also we had a pretty rough defensive meltdown there that I, I want to get into as well. Today's episode of Lockdown Vikings brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. And if you, like the Vikings, are looking like you're going to be hiring someone soon, <laughs> they're probably losing Flores, right? Uh, 
you can go to LinkedIn Jobs. Put that job opening up on LinkedIn Jobs for free. You just have to add the purple hashtag hiring frame. The process is super intuitive, quick, and easy. And they know that especially if you are part of or own a small business, you got a lot of stuff going on. So doing the legwork of gathering resumes and, and paring them down, you need tools to help you. Or in some cases, LinkedIn will just do that stuff for you. They actually just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making that process even quicker and easier. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate from LinkedIn within 24 hours. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NFL. That's linkedin.com slash NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, thanks again for sticking with me here on Locked on Vikings podcast as it feels like a season is circling the drain. I don't know. It's, it's bleak. The Vikings now have to go two and one to give themselves a good shot at the playoffs and they have really good tiebreakers. So two and one probably does it. If you want to get distract yourself with other Minnesota sports like the Wild or the Timberwolves who are on fire, go uh, to the Locked On Minnesota Sports YouTube channel and check out their 24-7 live stream where there's this show, Locked On Wild, Locked On Wolves, Locked On Twins, uh, Locked On Minnesota Sports, the, the general one that talks about all of it and the Gophers and all that. You can go check that out at the Locked On Minnesota Sports YouTube channel. Or if you're watching this one on YouTube, just watch till the end and it'll uh, send you right there to the end. Uh, these shows also, they've been premiering now for a little bit on, on YouTube, which is different. So if you're there at 8 a.m. Central Time, uh, there'll be a chat and people can are, are talking in there and you can kind of watch it all live and then it'll take you right to the live stream. Great thing to throw on in the background while you work if you're into that. Okay, so how did Nick Mullins do? Um, <laughs> I kind of went into it a little bit, right? Two rough interceptions and then pulled it together and, and played pretty well. And the question becomes, did we do the right thing at quarterback? And I think it's pretty clear that we did. Um as much as Mullins struggled, the ball moved more consistently, right? Even on those interceptions, those were drives that moved the ball. The production was there. Um, it, it's not going to be insane. It's going to get, it got a little rough when they needed it in the fourth quarter, right? You know, a major three and out that had a delay of game. And I think part of this, I don't know if you, you're going to get rid of this problem entirely. I think it's better than it was with Dobbs because at least you were, you know, you had camp with these guys. Um, but there's still an issue with getting the play in on time. Um, I would say that is just a backup thing, but also that happened with Kirk Cousins too. So I do think it's a sideline thing and not necessarily Mullins' fault, which is why I'm making this criticism of Kevin O'Connell. Um, but like, what I'll say is when you can't get the play in on time, it puts the offense behind a lot more eight balls, right? Like you have... Now, you don't have the luxury of making as many uh, changes at the line of scrimmage. And O'Connell's offense is predicated on this, which is why it's so hard to do with a backup and with a guy that wasn't here before. Um, with Mullins, he was doing the right alerts and checks and stuff, seeing things like, oh, there's two high safeties. I'm going to check into a run play, which is crucial to be able to execute that properly. And he could execute that properly. And the ball was on time. Um, it was The accuracy wasn't perfect. I do think that there were some that were risky throws. And here's something that I really liked about Nick Mullins was he was willing to throw an imperfect pass around a defender and use the catch radii of his receivers, um, especially Justin Jefferson, who had a triumphant return. He looked great and looks like he's back for the long haul here. Um, there was one play to him 
that was, or no, it's Hawkinson, who also had a couple contested catches, which is really nice to see from him since it's been such a thing for him this year. Um, but there was there was one play, it was a third down, and it was a linebacker that was in a hook zone. We were trying to get behind, like to a throwing window behind the, the linebacker zones, basically. And it was a little late, and Hawk, or Mullins still threw it to Hawkinson. Hawkinson had to go back for it. I think a lot of quarterbacks would come off that once and feel like the window had closed, but because he could kind of like wrench it in there just outside the linebackers range of, of motion, but not outside Hawkinson's range of motion. Like there was a lot of comfort with that and that can expand your options, right? That was open in a way that I don't think it's open if it's Dobbs. And honestly, sometimes Kirk won't even throw that. He, he would, he will test some tight windows. Um, but you know, th- that will, Open up your options. Now, the downside of that is that that's going to lead to stupid interceptions when you throw something you think is there that's not there, right? And Mullins has a, a history of doing that. Um, but I I think I, I, there it's not perfect, but I think it's plenty good enough for a backup, and it's plenty good enough to say, yeah, he's still our guy moving forward. I don't think we're having that conversation after that game. Um, I, I think really the operational kind of immeasurable stuff Stuff like, you know, when when you take a three drive, three touchdown streak, three 75 yard touchdown drives, or I think one of them was 74, not being able to pull out of that funk is uh, cultural. And I think that at a certain point that goes to coaching. Uh, the coaches have failed, I think, the players. And as much as we are still dealing with backups, right? The they have shown that they can do enough, these players, even the backups with Mullins and with Brandon Powell. I mean, Brandon Powell got a game-winning touchdown a few weeks ago, right? Like, we, we, we've seen it from them. But I don't think the coaches have done a good enough job of putting them in a position to win. Um, and that starts operationally and with these little decisions like who did the right thing, right? So where I'm at with O'Connell is... No, there's no hot seat or anything like that. We were just talking about him for coach of the year two weeks ago. Uh, But this is the kind of thing that sticks in your mind two years from now when we start having those conversations, right? Now you're in year four and, you know, if things keep going the way that they are going and they're sitting at seven and seven after a turnover play or, you know, big turnover game, man, remember how this was a thing two years ago? And that's the biggest thing that uh, gets me with with O'Connell is they aren't problem solving very well. And that might be because more problems have cropped up and you can only solve so many, but turnovers have been a thing for the Vikings all year. You think we're going to go into these Lions and Packers games and not turn the ball over? What do you think the odds are that we don't have turnovers, right? Now, I'm going to go on the crossover on Thursday and I'm going to tell Matt Derry, the Vikings don't pull the, don't turn the ball over, I bet they win. And I, th- I believe that, right? If they don't turn the ball over, I bet they win. But I don't bet that they won't turn the ball over. I don't believe in them. I don't believe in the Vikings, and I don't believe in the Vikings coach's ability to solve that problem. That's an issue. Um, and it goes well beyond Nick Mullins or Josh Dobbs or Kirk Cousins or Jaron Hall or whichever guy you want. Uh, that is an issue of discipline. And, and right now, the Vikings are fundamentally undisciplined. That goes to coaching in general, not necessarily O'Connell, but people O'Connell is responsible for anyways. And I think that that's the thing that I want to see an emphasis on this offseason 
because this season is not going anywhere. Let's be honest with ourselves. It's, it's not going anywhere. Yeah, they could go two and one and get a Fugazi wildcard spot and die because they've turned the ball over three times to the 49ers. That could that could happen. This ain't going anywhere. It's it's for me, I'm I'm now thinking, okay, what what what's what killed this season, right? I'm starting to problem solve and diagnose. Uh it, that's where my brain goes with this kind of thing. What killed the season? Turnovers killed the season. I think that's a good answer. And the inability to fix that problem, the inability to fix your sideline issues, that kills it. Plus, defensive meltdowns, man. We had another one. So uh, let's uh, go into what we think caused that. And I got some concerns for you, man. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. And as we get closer to the holiday season, give yourself something to gramble on so that you can enjoy those games that you may otherwise have to talk to family instead of watching. And, and you know nobody wants that. <laughs> right now, you can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. Any $5 money line bet. So right now, last I looked, the 49ers were minus 800 money line to beat the Cardinals. If you think the 49ers can beat the Cardinals, put five bucks on that. And assuming the 49ers do win, you can get 150 bucks back in bonus bets. 30 to one odds on a minus 800 thing normally. You're not going to find odds like that anywhere else. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. They've got spreads, player props, over-unders, crazy, wacky parlays, and all kinds of stuff across all sports. So head on over to FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim those bonus bets and and get going here in this holiday season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. After 11 quarters without a touchdown... Brian Flores' defense gave up three in one quarter. Now, a quirk of the quarter breaks is part of this, right? Um, They had a first and goal from the nine or something like that after the at the end of the third quarter and then they scored on the first play so that was really a third quarter drive that ended in a fourth quarter touchdown so it wasn't as bad of a meltdown as you think but it was still like a really bad meltdown (laughs) this is still three drives in a row and that's probably a better way to put it three 74 75 yard drives in a row for touchdowns what happened there And this is something that I'm going to go into over the course of the week because I'm very curious. And I'm so curious about this scheme because this scheme is new. And by the way, there's a bunch of Bengals fans that were commenting on uh, the the Minnesota football part or the postcast, Lockdown Vikings postcast, which you can find after every game on the Lockdown Minnesota Sports channel that were like, you said that this is a defense the Bengals hadn't seen before. And we diced it up for three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Uh, And (laughs) yeah, man, you figured out a defense you hadn't seen before. Good job. But that was the challenge presented to the Bengals, right? Was you had not seen this before and they found a way to move the ball with Jake Browning. I'm concerned about what that puts on tape. Can never really tell that much, but here's what I think. So uh, with Flores' defense, as I've gotten to know it and make like content about it, you can find my my big guide to the Flores defense on patreon.com slash NFL. It's free to watch and it contains a lot of the, the fundamentals here. Um, but one of the things is, so there's a lot of pre-snap disguising and, and alignment disguising and kind of messing with pre-snap reads is a big part of it. Make things hard on the quarterbacks to process. Once you get the coverage declared, it's a pretty vanilla coverage. And it has to be because you're doing so much fancy stuff to it, right? And the fancy stuff is coming from alignments. So having more complex coverage rules is just going to lead to mistakes. Once we actually get there, we're, we're playing like Madden zones, right? We're playing like, yes, yeah, just cover three. But it's not just cover three because it's cover three that presented too high with f- six people on the line of scrimmage and off some some guys playing off and some guys playing on and messing with your alignment and bouncing and simming a pressure and all that. But by the time we're there, we're there to 
we're at cover three. So the Bengals did a really good job of, of surviving until that point. And I think that's what you have to do. Survive the snap and the post-snap rotation. And then you can read the rep. But that's you got to be able to read it out pretty fast or buy a bunch of time. And what I think went wrong at the end of the fourth quarter is, or at, at the end of the game, was that the Vikings didn't do a good job of compressing the timeline. Their blitzes didn't work. The Bengals figured out how to pick up the blitzes. They did a great job picking up blitzes to the point where I am worried that they figured out a protection that works against the Vikings blitzes and that the Vikings are going to have to adjust. Uh, and we'll see, you know, how much the Lions copy from them coming into this week. They are playing as I'm recording. Um, so that's one concern is did they figure out Flores's blitz style, right? Which I mean, the, the blitz style has been known for a while, right? The bank, the Hawk rules where, you know, the, if, if the protection slides a certain way, that guy will uh, back off. And, and if the protection slides away from you, you go, that is a rule that's been in Flores's playbook for forever. Anybody who's played Flores before knows that rule. And same with the stunts. Anyone who's played any Belichick disciple knows that if you ever played a game against Belichick or Flores or Matt Patricia, or, uh, what's the guy's name that was on the giants, the Joe, it was like Joe John or something like that. I forget his name. Um, Joe judge. Is that his name? And another Belichick guy, right? Like, all of these guys go Romeo Cronell. Like that is going to be a universal thing that you know. And teams have answers that they like to for stunt pickups and stuff. Um, but figuring that out and the way that Flores has has deployed it, they did a really good job of having the right amount of blockers in and forcing more in coverage than I think the Vikings wanted, and they couldn't get home. And they didn't contain Rush very well. Um, and I don't know if that was a, 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 a an execution issue on DJ Wanham in particular, uh, or whoever was at edge, Hunter sometimes too, or if they just drew up pass rushes that used the B gaps more than the A gaps. But either way, they let Jake Browning out of the pocket and Jake Browning ran around. And now suddenly, now that you're running around... You got five, six, seconds, seven seconds. The coverage can declare itself. And guess what? These are just zones. So you can just sit there and wait for someone to be in a hole and then throw it up. And the next thing that happened is contested catches all the way down, right? This was Jake Browning heaving up a whole bunch of contested catches to big receivers. So I'm looking at it and saying, okay, if you can pick up the blitzes and if you can win contested catches against the Vikings smaller corners, especially Murphy and, and, and Makai Blackman, although Caleb Evans gave up that one big touchdown, a, a crazy touchdown to T Higgins, where he caught a contested ball and then reached over the goal line while standing on the one and actually got an interception on that or got a touchdown on that. It, so if you can do that, if you can have wide receivers that make plays and have your quarterback just throw high then you can get there. But you need a quarterback that that is mobile, that can run around, utilize that pocket, and then make those, right? I will be very curious about the Packers because when Jordan Love is on, he can do that, sure. He can run around and throw, throw up contested balls, but the Packers receivers haven't really been paying them off the way that the Bengals receivers have been paying it off all season long, all the time. Bengals receiving group's one of the best in the league. So I'll be very curious if, if the Packers can take that same deal Although I also think that the Vikings will prepare differently for for Jordan Love than they will than they did for Jake Browning, right? They'll focus on contain rushing a little bit more and keeping him in the pocket. Contain rushing is really really important in the modern NFL. A lot of these guys can run around on you, and I'm going to be honest, Jake Browning sliced him up. 
No two ways about it, man. That dude had a game. He went up after the, uh, he took his victory lap on the, on the podium, man. We're getting clowned by Jake Browning saying they shouldn't have cut me. Come on, man. <laughs> we just got clowned by a dude who lost a camp competition to Kellen Mond and Sean Mannion, and we're getting clowned on by him. That's bad. That's a rough moment for the Minnesota Vikings. Long week to stew on it, too. One extra day. And then they got to go play the Lions, and season's going to come down to that. Now, again, as I am recording this, I don't know how the Lions did, but if the Lions lose against the Broncos, we are hashtag two back by Christmas, and the Vikings will control their own destiny to the NFC North title. Beat the Lions twice and you get it, right? That's all I wanted once we started 0-3. I was like, just give me that shot, right? But if the Lions, you will know this by the time this is up, if the Lions have won against the Broncos, obviously we're going to need help from the Dallas Cowboys, which, hey, Cowboys are a good team. Maybe uh, Jared Goff loses there. One thing I will say real quick about that, Jared Goff, indoor-outdoor splits are pretty uh, a pretty big thing for them over in Detroit, and Goff, until the playoffs, is not going to have to play outdoors again. He's going to get a game in U.S. Bank, a game at AT&T Stadium, and uh, Ford Field. That's all he's got. So uh, he will will have to beat him indoor, Jared Goff. We won't might not get as many difficult outdoor interceptions. I don't know if that's even a real, it's like a split, but I don't know if there's anything real behind it at all. You'd have to ask Matt Derry, who we will talk to later in the week as we get into Lions mode, but I do want to dive into this Bengals game a little bit and really figure out what went wrong. And if my instinct is right, which is telling me that the Bengals found something here that is exploitable and repeatable by other teams if they have the right people. My, if that instinct is right, that means it's time to adjust. And what will determine if Flores' scheme sticks in the NFL and spreads, just like the Fangio one did and the Belichick one and all of that stuff, if it's going to stick, um, then the ability to adapt it when you get figured out, like, I mean, we are really in the experimental stages of something, which is really cool and fun to watch. But that means you're going to have times like this where ah, they found something. Now we've got to make an edit. And if we can't make that edit, the scheme will die. And that'll be that. But if we can make an edit, not only will that be great for the Vikings, but it means that this thing can stick around. And when we go into next year, whether we have Flores or not, we can um, still maybe run this scheme with somebody else if they're willing to be as aggressive and stuff. All conversations for like February. We don't got to worry about that now. For now, take a breath. Enjoy your Sunday. Enjoy a little red zone. And I'll see you guys all on Tuesday. This is the Monday show. It's just up early. So, I'll see you all on Tuesday for Twitter Tuesday. Get your questions in. I'll, I'll put out a call on Monday morning. And as always, scroll.